Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. We've been walking through this wonderful Gospel record together, exploring the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already walked with Him as He was born through His conception to the miraculous events of his birth. We watched him as he grew up. We saw his early life and the forerunner of John the Baptist. And now we see as his early ministry is progressing, he has already called the disciples unto himself. And from those disciples, he chose 12 who were going to be apostles. He's already given some time to give them some instruction. And now as they're beginning in the early parts of his earthly ministry, we're starting to see that the Pharisees are already starting to become antagonistic toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we come to another event that we find together in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 7. And if you don't mind, let's begin looking together at verse number 11. The gospel record of Luke chapter 7 starting at verse number 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the briar, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 7. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 7 and notice with me in verse number 16. The gospel record of Luke chapter 7 and verse 17. Notice the phrase that God had visited his people. That God hath visited his people. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach a message with that phrase in mind, that God hath visited his people. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would help open this up. Maybe there's someone in here that's a broken heart. Maybe there's someone in here that needs comforting. Maybe there's someone in here that needs your compassion. I'm praying that you would identify them, that you would speak to them through your precious spirit, that you would open up the word and give them the comfort they need, that you indeed, Lord, would prove that you 
you are God and that you have visited your people. Again, I know that I cannot trust myself. I do not have the words. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you, my thoughts, my goals, my ambitions, my plans, my words. I give them to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of you getting your own work accomplished through your word. Thank you that we can trust you in all of these things. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin to open up this passage, if you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that Christ cares. That Christ cares. Now remember in the earlier part of chapter number 7, which happened the day before according to scripture, that Jesus Christ had been uh, walking in Capernaum and he met... <coughs> was met by some elders of the synagogue who came to him and said, we have a centurion, a Roman centurion, who loved his servant. And we ask that you come and heal him. He's a man worthy. He loves us. He built us a synagogue. You need to help him out. And as Jesus Christ came, the centurion sent his friends out to say, hey, listen, there's no need for Jesus to come here or me to go to him. All I need is his word. And Jesus turned around and marveled and said, what great faith. I haven't seen this great faith in all of all of Judea among the Hebrew people. Here's a Gentile. Here is a Roman soldier with great faith. What made him have great faith? Well, quite simply, he just believed God in his word. That's all he needed. Just trusting God at his word. You know, we, we take something simple and we often make it so complicated. And God says that we're supposed to do all things in simplicity and godly sincerity. Just taking God at his word. And so the crowd has now picked up even more. When they saw that God had healed this man just by his word. And what great faith. And so they're following with him. Now this is a big deal because the Bible now gives us a location change in verse number 11. And it came to pass... The day after. Now the Bible's trying to be specific that this is occurring the day after. In verse uh, chapter number 7, the early part, they're in Capernaum. And now it came to pass the day after they went to a city called Nain. For those of you who enjoy Bible geography, this is going to be a 12-hour walk from Capernaum to the next day to Nain. Now remember, they didn't have cars or trains or airplanes. They walked. And not only did they walk, they had a huge crowd. So this huge crowd, how dedicated do you have to be to follow the pastor for 12 hours to the next place he's going? We can barely get people to show up to church when they have a car. But here they're willing to follow after Jesus the next day in a big crowd, walking for 12 hours and not complaining. And willing to see what's going to happen next. And so as they arrive in the city of Nain, they're arriving in the late afternoon. And as they arrive that late afternoon, verse number 11, it came to pass the day after that he, Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people, large crowd. And when he had come nigh to the gate of the city, the city of Nain, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city were with her. So what we have here is two different entourages that are going to run into each other. Here is Jesus and his followers that have walked 12 hours from Capernaum walking to the city of Nain. It has been a long travel. Many of them are tired. It's now getting to the afternoon and they're trying to get to the city. Meanwhile, coming outside of the city, about 10 minutes walk away is a graveyard. And so here is a 
funeral procession that is coming out. Now the mother who is a widow, so she doesn't have a husband, has now lost her only son. She's alone in the world. No husband, no son. She is in deep mourning. Can you imagine what a tragedy this would be? We understand the Bible refers him to as a young man, so we can imagine that he was perhaps a teenager, maybe in his 20 years of age, somewhere around there. He was young. And he has passed away. We don't know what. But now they're carrying him. Now, the way that a Jewish uh, funeral procession would occur is that the widow, the uh, the the she probably hired flutist and they would be playing music as they were traveling along. So everyone knew what it was. In addition, because it was considered an honor to help carry the casket, they would carry the casket above their heads and the people would be barefoot as they would walk and they would often stop from time to time and allow people to switch out and help carry the casket and they would just switch back and forth. And each stop there would be lamentations, a mournful wailing along with the flute music going on And so it was very much a procession. And as custom was, if you ever ran into a procession, you were supposed to stop what you're doing and actually join with that procession. And so people were starting to gather on. and It was starting to become a crowd. As family members would stop, they would switch out. They would be in mournful. You could tell them because they were wearing bare feet and they would uh, be crying. And so you have two processions. One with Jesus Christ and his followers traveling for 12 miles. This other one walking with this widow woman carrying this casket. The casket would usually be an open casket. It wouldn't be closed. So they would have the young man laying there and they would just only have a veil or a cloth over his face as they would carry him. So imagine this. Here's a procession. Here the flutes playing mournfully. Hear the people cry. They would walk for a little bit and then they would stop and switch out. And as they would switch out, the wailing and the mourning would raise up a little bit more. They're sad and they're brokenhearted. Those who have known this widow, she was, they were there when she lost her husband. And now they're here as she's lost her son. How do you encourage a mother like this? What can you do to give comfort to someone who's lost everyone and they're alone? And now these two processions intersect. What's going to happen? Who's going to give way? What's going to occur as these two processions run together? Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. Can you imagine Someone coming up to a mother who's lost her husband, lost her only son, and he died at a young age, and coming up and say, weep not. Now, if it came from anywhere else, that statement would definitely be rejected. How can you tell a mother during a funeral to weep not? How can you... Tell someone who's so brokenhearted, who, what comfort can she possibly have? Weep not. Now, of course, if you like pictures, here's a picture of two intersections. A picture of Jesus Christ who intersects us, who are dead in trespasses and sin, and he's able to give us new life. These two sessions, uh, uh, processions met 
And Jesus looks and he has compassion on her. Now notice what happens. We see that Christ cares, but we also see Christ commands. Christ commands. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 14. And he came and touched the briar. So this is the casket. So Jesus comes and walks up to the lady and says, weep not. The whole procession stops. Normally they have the right of way. Normally everyone has to get out of their way and then join with them. But now Jesus has stopped the whole thing. They're no longer walking. They're standing there. Jesus comes, this crowd behind him. Weep not. People are watching What in the world is this crazy guy doing stopping this procession? This isn't how it's done. Weep not. And then he comes up past the crowd, steps in between two people holding, and he touches the casket. Most people are thinking, what in the world is going on? Probably so many people are shocked they don't know what to do. There's others that are probably very critical. What is this crazy guy doing? And he comes up, he touches the briar, touches the casket, And he came and touched the briar. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Aren't you glad that our heavenly father, Jesus Christ, robed in flesh, that even death has to obey his command? Inside of his earthly ministry, there are three people that God commanded for them to rise when they were dead. That was the 12-year-old girl who had passed away. It was Lazarus from the tomb. And it was this man who died, who's in this briar. He commands him to sit up. Now, before anything happens, can you imagine watching this crazy Jewish teacher with this crowd tell the mother, first of all, Weep not. How can you tell someone who's lost everything in the world not to weep? And then he touches the casket. Everyone stops. What what do you do? And he says, young man, sit up. The guy's dead. But Christ commands. They're powerful. Even death has to obey him. Oh, isn't that a great comfort? There are some people who fear death. There are some people who are afraid to put their head on their pillow at night because they're afraid of what would happen to them if they don't wake up. There are people who are afraid of accidents. They're afraid if I get in an accident, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I got to be careful. I got to live my life inside of a bubble wrap so that way nothing can happen to me because if I die, I don't know what's going to happen. There are some people who are afraid of disease It doesn't matter what disease. And it all stems to what happens to me if I die. I don't know what's going to happen. There is a fear of death that's inside of every person. But that fear of death can go away for those who have understood that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. There's a great comfort that comes because of Jesus' command even over death. So an amazing thing has happened. This crazy guy has come up, told the mother, weep not. Touch this casket. Now remember the casket is sitting above everyone. They can't see inside of it. They're holding him up. He's dead. Jesus comes and touches it. It's almost like he's talking to the man directly. Get up, young man. 
Stop sleeping. Get up. Get out of your bed. Get up. Arise. Well, what happens? Notice with me in verse 15. And he that was dead sat up. Now, some people would say, well, maybe it's a parlor trick. Maybe he just pulled some strings and now this dead body sits up that someone did a cruel practical joke. But it didn't say he just sat up. He began to speak. What kind of questions do you think this young man was just asking? Where am I? What am I doing? What is this on my face? Why am I up here? I mean, there's a lot of things he could have said. Mom, where are you at? He began to speak. It was undeniable. Remember, Jesus didn't pull any strings. There's no mirrors. He touched the casket, not the body. But he told the young man to sit up and he sits up and begins to speak. Now both crowds are witnessing this. The crowd that followed him to Capernaum and the crowd that followed from Nain. And they're watching amazement. What would you do? Draws, jaws probably hit the ground. People are stunned. What about the people holding him? Is the, now the weight shifting as he's sitting up? What's going on up there? And then they hear his voice. What a comfort that was for the mother to hear the voice of the son that she thought she would never hear again. What a comfort that was to her. No wonder Jesus can come to her and say, weep not. And he that was dead set up and began to speak. And he, Jesus, delivered him, the man who was dead, to his mother. So as everybody's stunned and what do I do? Jesus Helps the young man out of the casket. Maybe the people lowered the casket. What in the world? The body's shifting. Let's put it down. And he helps the young man up. And he delivers him back to his mom. Mom, here he is. What a miracle. What an incident. What power Christ has. Oh, that Christ conquers all. This is the third thing here. Christ conquers all. That we see he cares. He commands. And then he conquers all. So he's brought to his mother. Verse 16. And there was a great fear on all. If you were there, don't you think you'd be a little bit afraid if you saw someone get up from a casket and begin to speak? Maybe just a little bit. What just happened? This, this has never happened before. I mean, what's going on? There would be a lot. What in the world? A lot of fear. Do you think there were some people that were afraid of Christ right then? Let's, let's not mess with this guy. There was great fear on all. And they glorified God said that a great prophet is risen up among us. That God had visited his people. Only God could have done this. Only God has this great power. And they begin to glorify. Look, God has chosen to allow he has visited. He has been among us. He has given us hope. He is the great conqueror. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. No one has ever done this before. This has to be of God. And they responded. I'm so thankful that Christ has given us hope. Now someone may say at this time, but this was one incident. This was something that happened 2,000 years ago. We don't have Christ walking around now. How does that help me in my comfort? How does that help me in my loss? Well, that is a good and valid question. Maybe perhaps we can answer that. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 4. 
Now as we turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we understand that the Apostle Paul is the human pinman. And this letter is actually a response that as the Apostle Paul began his early ministry, he spoke often of the coming of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is coming again. And let me tell you, when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to call us away. He's going to rapture us up. That he's going to come back and we're all taking off with him. We're going to live with him forever. Well, someone came up with a valid question. Mr. Paul, you recently spoke about that when Jesus Christ comes back, that we're all going to go back with him. I have a question, Mr. Paul. What happens to my loved one if they pass away before Jesus Christ comes back? That's a good question. What happens to those that pass away before Jesus Christ comes back? Well, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, answers this question in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. If you don't mind, look with me and let's see as Paul answers this question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, notice with me in verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. That carries the idea. He's not calling them ignorant. It says, I don't want you to be without information. I want you to have the information. I want to answer your question. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Remember, the word sleep in the Bible is often a kind way of saying that they're dead, that they're passed away. And so I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those that have passed away, those that are dead, those that are asleep. Notice this, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Do you know that there is a funeral service where you go to where people have no hope? I've been to them. It's devastating. Where they have no hope, no promise, no guarantee that they will see their loved ones ever again. It is hard to comfort those folks. It's hard to give them any kind of compassion, anything to give them something to hold on to. But the Bible says that for us believers, for those who've accepted Christ, we don't have to sorrow as those that that's, um, have no hope. We are sorrowing. Our funerals are different. Why? Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with you. So he says, listen, here is the hope that you have. That if you have believed in Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? That means that I recognize that I'm a sinner. And by the way, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible gives us the Ten Commandments to give us a measuring stick. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments that thou shall not bear false witness. We could summarize it like this, that we're not supposed to tell lies. Well, let's just evaluate. How many have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Well, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've, we've all sinned. We've all broken that. The Bible says in another Ten Commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. We could summarize it this way, that we're supposed to obey our folks. Well, if you've ever disobeyed that law, raise your hand. Parents are making sure their kids are raising their hand. Right? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, the Bible says that because of our sin, that we deserve to be separated from God. After all, just using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect and put it in a perfect place. It would ruin it, right? For example, if my kids were outside playing in the mud, and then they took their muddy clothes and put them on a clean pile of clothes my wife just got through washing... It would make that whole pile of clothes dirty by association, wouldn't it? 
Well, heaven's the same way. God cannot allow anything that's not perfect to go to a perfect heaven because it would ruin heaven. It would no longer be perfect. That makes sense, doesn't it? So the Bible says because of our sin, we cannot go to heaven as we are. Something needs to happen. And so the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, sin is anything that we've ever done against God. Breaking God's commandment, telling a lie, disobeying our folks. Those are sins. The Bible says, for the wage of sin. A sin, our wage, is something we earn. For example, when we go to work, we earn money. We call that a wage or a payment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. We're talking about funerals now. If we had a casket here and a body inside of it, we would say that person is dead. Why? Because their body is here, but what makes them them is separated. It's no longer part of them. We just have the husk here. That's what death means. It means separation. Well, the Bible says because we have disobeyed God's law, we deserve to be separated from God and his perfect heaven, and we deserve to go somewhere else. Well, when the Bible describes eternity, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. Man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. Heaven's perfect and we can't go to a perfect place, so we have to go to the only other place available. Does that make sense? Now, all I've told you right now is bad news. Let me tell you what the good news is. The good news is, is that God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is he robed himself in human form as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. The good news is that he did not stay dead. That on the third day he arose again. And when he arose again it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God. And it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. And now all we have to do is that each and every one of us must personally accept the terms that Jesus paid. Jesus paid our debt and we give him permission to pay that price for us. We accept that promise that he paid the price for us. When we do that, we receive the free gift of salvation. We didn't do anything to earn it. We don't do anything to keep it. It is a free gift that God has given to us and that we could receive it ourselves. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that it's a free gift. For example, if I was to hand out a gift to somebody and say this is your gift, what must you do to make that yours? Um, take it. That's right. Did you have to pay me money for it? Nope. Did you have to mow my lawn? Nope. You didn't even have to be nice to me. All you had to do was take it for yourself. Well, the same thing's true about going to church. To go to church, or, or sorry, to go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't even have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, if you could give me a little time out here. I was doing a funeral once for a biker. And outside, they had the bikes revering up, you know, during the funeral. And when I gave that illustration that to go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. And you don't have to pay money to the church. And you don't have to help even let help. You don't even have to help little ladies cross the street. The whole crowd started laughing. I'm not used to people laughing on that spot. And I was kind of curious. Afterwards, they told me the biker I was doing the funeral for was so mean that he used to say, if I ever saw an old lady crossing the street, I'd run her over with a bike. <laughs> but 
God worked it out that I said it that way. The crowd laughed and they listened to me even more. And people accepted Christ as their savior because they were now able to relate and understand that it's not my good works that get me to heaven. It's Christ and the free gift that he has given me, has ex- that he's extended to me. Now, again, I know it's not a fun subject, but we're talking about funerals. It was the context. This is what Paul was asked. Notice again in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. The question was, what happens to my loved ones if they die before Jesus Christ comes back? Here's the answer. God is bringing them back with us. We get to see our loved ones again. That when we see them pass and we go to the funeral, it's not goodbye forever. It's see you in a little while. We have a different type of funeral because even though we're going to miss them here and now, we have the promise we will see them again if they've trusted Christ and we've trusted Christ. What great hope we have. And it's all because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Notice as we go on this encouragement that comes with me in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What good news is, is that there's nothing that you could do to keep those people from coming back. I appreciate that. There's nothing. You could fill in that blank for whatever nothing you think it is. Nothing will ever stop them from coming back. If they've trusted Christ, they're coming back. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, what a great encouragement it is that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when he comes back with a shout, it says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Their bodies are going to come back and they're going to go up. And then us that are alive and remain, we're going to meet them up in the clouds and we're going to be forever with the Lord. And we're going to see our loved ones and we're going to be with them forever because of the promise of God that if you've trusted Christ and they've trusted Christ, we have the promise of God we will see them again. And there's nothing you could do to stop it if they've trusted Christ and you've stopped at Christ. You know what great comfort that is? I get to see my loved one again because Christ has conquered the grave. He's given his commandment. He's given his word and we can trust that. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Here we have that compassionate Christ that we first spoke of. He looked at this widow woman who lost her husband and now lost her son. And he looked and came upon this funeral procession and he had compassion on her. And he said, weep not. He says, let me show you. Let me illustrate what power I have. He goes up to the young man and says, young man, arise. The man sits up and begins to speak. Everyone goes, wow, wow. God has been with us. God has been here. We could trust him in his word. Later on, we have the promise that's also for us. That if you have a loved one who's accepted Christ as their savior. And you've accepted Christ as the savior. You have the promise of God that we can see them again. That even in a funeral, we could be sad that we're not going to see them in a while. But we have hope we will see them again. Now this all builds to one question. 
Have you personally accepted Jesus as your Savior? Now, we, we could cover a lot of different people, but I could start with you. Have you personally? Has there been a time and a place in your life where you realized that you were a sinner? And you realized that you deserved to go to hell? But Jesus paid your price and you on purpose received that free gift that God had offered to you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you did that? Now if not, let me tell you, there's good news. We could take care of that today. And just a moment, we're going to have what's called an invitation. And there's nothing magical about the altars. But we want to invite you to come. And it would be our privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible God's promises. How you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven, and that you have a place with him in heaven. We want you to have that nailed down. We want you to know from the Bible. Now, there may be some of you who said, well, I don't have any assurance of my loved one. Well, good thing is, is that you could pray for them. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If maybe you have someone that you don't know for sure. By the way, you say, how do I know for sure? Well, one way is that you could ask them their testimony. It is my firm belief that every husband should be able to repeat the testimony of their wife. And every wife should be able to repeat the testimony of how their husband came to know the Lord. Now I'm giving you a heads up. I may ask you and quiz you in just a second. How did your wife come to know the Lord? How did your husband come to know the Lord? It is my personal belief that every parent needs to be able to explain how their child came to know the Lord. Has there been a time and a place where they personally accepted Christ? Can you explain the events? Can you tell what happened? You know, that gives you a lot of encouragement that I know for sure. There was a time where they personally accepted the gift. And they may not have been perfect all of their life, but there was a place where they asked God to forgive them and were trusting in that promise. Let me tell you, funerals are a lot easier. I preach about 10 funerals a year. And uh, always preaching them. I preached easy ones. People that had great testimonies and they've known Christ as their Savior. Those are the fun ones because we have hope and we have the promise of God. And then there are ones like the biker that I spoke of, which are very difficult. Because here is a man who doesn't have a clear testimony. We could maybe hope that maybe sometime he accepted Christ as our Savior, but we don't have any assurance on that. If you know that your loved ones have known Christ as their Savior, it gives you a great comfort if something ever was to happen. Maybe you need to make on purpose say, Hey, you know what, Dad? I've never heard your testimony Can you tell me how you came to know the Lord? Maybe you go, Mom, you know, Mom, I love you. I've seen you in church, but can you tell me about how you came to know the Lord as your Savior? Maybe you have some friends, family, brother, sister. that you say, you know what? They go to church, but I've never asked them. I'm encouraging you, maybe on purpose, you need to go find out their story. How did they come to know Christ as their Savior? And again, as I said, husbands and wives may be on the ride home. Instead of having roast preacher, maybe you could look at each other and say, how about you tell me about your story? Maybe I want to make sure I have the details right. Let me t- tell you what I remember and maybe share the testimony. What great comfort that is. Now, why am I doing this? Because of comfort. Because of hope. There's such an assurance that if you know their story, again, they may not be perfect. And the wives look at their husbands and say, yeah, yeah, I agree. You may look at your kids and say, well, but you know what? If you have the story that it's a free gift and there was a time where they personally accepted that gift, that gives you great hope. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.